Hey, Rafer, have you ever been conned? I've never been really conned. Like, like conned by a con artist? No. I've been kind of – I've been sort of. Like I, re- I do remember one time when I was working years and years ago in the, in the Bay Area, a guy came up to me. I was getting my morning coffee and muffin and a guy came up to me and said – Hey, Rafer, God, it's been so long since I haven't seen you. What's going on, man? You remember me, right? And, and you know, from what I, you know, from shipping and receiving and something. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, how how from are you? I, re- what is that? I, you know, I, I used to work on the ninth floor, blah, blah, blah. He seemed to know, like, where I worked and everything. And, and I was kind of like, well, I don't remember going down to shipping and receiving very much when I worked. You know, I, I, just, I couldn't, but I was trying to be polite. And then he starts hitting me up for money. And I said, "Oh!" And suddenly, I was like, "God, I've been, I, I'm, I'm being, I'm being scammed. I'm being scammed by this guy." And if you know, no, I don't have any money. I'm really sorry. And the guy got kind of hostile. And then finally, we, you know, I, we, we parted ways. And the whole time, I was like, "How did they? How did that guy know where I worked?" And then I, I reached down in my pocket or something. I realized I was wearing my work badge. <laughs> That said, you know, said my name and my workplace. I just kind of thought, wow, I'm the dumbest guy on the planet. <laughs> so that's about that's about the closest I've come. Why? Well, how about you? Have you? I mean, is it called a con if you accidentally like click on that thing that you think is virus protection for your computer, and then suddenly your computer's totally infected? Is that? Is that me being con? That doesn't count, or Kristen. What about, there, sometimes I get these letters from Nigeria in my <laughs> inbox. That doesn't count. And they say that they are going to make a deposit of $10 million, but all I have to do is pay the handling fees first, the processing fees. It, does, it doesn't count un- unless you show up to the racetrack, bet all your money, lose, and then when you come back the next day, the racetrack isn't there anymore. It was all, it was all a big giant uh, set with, full of uh, an, an entire army of extras, and they were all there just to scam you. <laughs> Then that that's a con. That's that's Where a real con. Where have I con. seen that before? <laughs> Where have I seen that? Well, we'll talk a little bit about short cons and long cons because uh, this week we're going to talk about Focus, the new con artist movie with Will Smith and Margot Robbie. We're also going to talk about The Lazarus Effect, new horror movie with Mark Duplass and Olivia Wilde. And then on a slightly heavier note... Uh, a docu- two documentaries, uh, Farewell to Hollywood, The Life and Death of Reggie Nicholson. That's uh, that's going to be an interesting one. And then The Hunting Ground, the new uh, film by uh, Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering about uh, sexual assaults on campus. And then, very exciting, we have a special guest with us this week, Jermaine Clement of Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Oh, gosh, he's so nice. And he has a new movie out that he co-directed, co-wrote, and co-stars in. It's a horror comedy mockumentary about the downside about being a vampire. Indeed. (laughs) We'll have all that plus trivia. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Date. Tonight we're going to make love. You know how I know. Because it's Wednesday. And Wednesday night is the night that we usually make love. Monday night is my night to cook. Tuesday night we go and visit your mother, but Wednesday we make sweet weekly love. All right, Rafer, let's get down to business here. Connor's business yeah. with uh, Will Smith, Margot Robbie, who many people know best from that crappy movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Which one? <laughs> oh, that. 
I didn't. I didn't. That's mean. But so true. I didn't mean it yes. that way. Actually. Wolf of Wall Street. Right. I, That's I, what I just, she's I, most famous I'd for. I'd forgotten that she was at Wolf of Wall Street. I did not mean it that way. Um, okay. Yes. Tell us about the plot of Focus. All right. So we have a seasoned con artist played by Will Smith. And he comes into the company of a young woman who is kind of a crappy con artist who hasn't quite developed the right chops yet to be a real con artist. She's half his age and she doesn't do everything quite right. And yet they have a great rapport. Maybe he's going to take her under his wing. Maybe he's going to teach her a few things or maybe she's going to teach him a few things. Here's a clip. Attention is like a spotlight. And our job is to dance in the darkness. I didn't feel you take that. The human brain is slow, and it cannot multitask. Jesus, what? Human behavior is very predictable. I touch you here, I steal from here. I tap you here, I steal from here. So Margot Robbie, Will Smith, they develop a not just a collaborative working relationship, but also a romantic relationship. And a lot of this movie hinges on how they're conning each other versus how much of their feelings are legitimate and real for each other. So, Rafer, tell, tell me what you thought about this movie. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of con, con artist movies. I guess probably kind of everyone is. It's, just, it's sort of a timeless genre, like the heist movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think the, the best ones, uh, I would say, are something like House of Games by David Mamet, or um, obviously The Sting, um, mm. or something like one of my favorite con man movies of all time, Matchstick Men with Nicolas Cage. Un- oh, yeah, yeah. Underrated film. Nicolas Cage, Sam Rockwell, great movie. And in each of those, you're kind of, there's some kind of psychological core to the film. You understand what's going on, who's trying to get what and why. And the con is very important. You know, what's important is what that, what the suckered person wants and why that person is allowing himself to be suckered. That seems important to me. Um, and this movie doesn't really have that. You know, you were saying in the beginning whether it's him conning her or her conning him. And I don't frankly get that from the film. I think the film wants me to get that. Oh, yeah. But I don't really feel that. I don't really have this question in my mind, you know, who's, play- who's zooming who? I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> Here's I don't, why, Rayford. I don't this feel is what, it. This is why I think that one of the biggest issues in this movie – you don't know who is conning who and you don't care who's conning who because it's so unconvincing that these two have any chemistry and actually could possibly be romantically very much, you know, into each other. Yeah, I mean, or, only... or to me, it was totally unconvincing. I thought yeah. I, none of this seems sincere. And all. I think that's because um, the characters, there isn't really that much to them and you don't really understand what they're getting out of each other. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he, she, she doesn't – I mean – I understand what they're getting out of each other. They both look great, and that's fine. But I mean, you know, what what is she, what what is she giving him that he hasn't had in his life? What does she represent? Do you know what I'm saying? What does, does she she doesn't represent a chance to go straight and and raise a family and be a you know have have a normal, genuine, authentic life. She's just another con artist. But there there are these moments where, well, anyway, we shouldn't spoil too I much. I don't know but who's who's zooming who is indeed. The it's question. indeed. The, I think most. But of I don't the care film, about the answer. You don't care about the answer. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think I think I think what the movie is mostly selling really is just a kind of an overall sense of ambience and affluence, right? Isn't it's just, it fun being rich and stealing? Right. Like I'm gonna put here I go, I'm gonna put on my slimming black sweater and my gray slacks and I'm gonna stare off the balcony of my hotel like like everyone always does when they're yes, staying they in a fine hotel. Yes. You know, it's just, he does it's that, that a lot with his arms crossed. Yes. His exactly. legs just shoulder length apart. Exactly. <laughs> One exactly. he's got like these matching red shoes on with the red trousers. <laughs> Yeah, so I it just I felt like the whole thing wasn't terrible. I just felt like focus was a like a very lukewarm, uninteresting date for I, for a con man movie. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I felt like I just didn't care about this date. I'm like, the date's fine, but you know what? I'd be fine with this date being on in the background where I'm on a better date with somebody right, else. Right, great yeah. looking, boring date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Rafer Lazarus' effect is the other movie in wide release this week. I didn't get a chance to see this, and by that we might mean I'm too scared because it's a horror movie. Kristen. And you, know, I, you know sometimes I just can't sit through the horror movies. Yes. So tell me about this movie. Well, uh, this is got Mark Duplass and uh, Olivia Wilde. They play a couple of scientists who are uh, doing a, an experiment in a lab with a, a crew of college types. And uh, what they're trying to do is... Bring the dead back to life. Um, they've got a serum. Don't do it. Well, I, you know, you, we you, know you don't do that. You, you, one would think, uh, but they've got a grant for it and everything, and so they've got a, a serum. They've called it the Lazarus serum. You inject it into the temporal lobe of the brain. Uh, they're trying it on pigs and dogs and things like that. They haven't tried it on a human being yet. Of course, we know that eventually they will. Here's a clip. Listen to me, okay? Your brain was failing due to the lack of oxygen. You're hallucinating from the DMT. This is a terrible memory from your childhood, but it's playing in a traumatic loop. It's like it a was hell. That's what hell is. You relive the worst moment of your life on a loop over and over, and you can never wake up. No, Rafer, did you ever see Pet Cemetery? Yeah, sure. Is, is it like that where you you just bring back the dead, and then you're like, why did I do that? Well, I mean... why did I do that? And, and and one of the reasons I thought Lazarus Effect might be too scary for me was when I was a little kid, I saw Pet Cemetery, and I didn't sleep for a month. Yeah, it's I mean, you know, that's that's the great Stephen King. I mean, what more do you want? Pet Cemetery. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, they tried on a dog, and the dog uh, the dog does come to life. But as we all know, there's going to be something a little weird about that dog. And of course, Not there is. Not quite right in the head. No. And, yeah, well, right. And then, of course, um, and I don't want to spoil too much. And here's why I don't want to spoil too much. The film is only 83 minutes long. It's not even the length of an actual feature film. There's really, there's really so little to it that I almost feel like I can't say anything because it'll spoil it. Um, but I will say this. It's a quickie, cheapy horror film from the guys who did Paranormal Activity. Um, not, the, not the director. The director is a, actually a, document, a documentary filmmaker, uh, David Gelb, who did uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is, now he's, he's, he's turned his hand to Bloomhouse Productions, the, guy who does, the guys who do Paranormal Activity and Insidious and Sinister and all those movies. So you know what you're getting. You're getting a really, really rock-bottom bargain basement budget here, and... Not much in the way of special effects. I would almost say almost nothing in the way of special effects. And a scenario that you've seen before, which is sort of the, you know, the final girl is going to be a body count. People are going to be picked off, right? You know, you know the whole drill. I like this kind of stuff. I like science-y stuff. I like things about using science to bring back the dead or go into the afterlife. Movies like Brainstorm or Altered States. Or... Oh, yeah. And you love that one with Johnny Depp earlier this year where he... 
goes no. in, into the cloud. <laughs> into the cloud. Literally. That doesn't count. I don't. That does not count. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Flatliners, another another oh, totally yeah. oh, great okay. movie. Okay, I right? love Flatliners. Flatliners is really Flatliners good. is hilarious. Uh, this is not that. It's not. It's not a great film. But it's not terrible. It has a few good things going for it. I wish it didn't go into kind of the typical Blumhouse Productions thing where you have like spooky dolls and creepy kids and a hallway and dream sequence and oh, am I in hell? Kind of, when it gets kind of supernatural, demon kind of stuff, that's where I start to get a little bored. I wanted more, I wanted more pseudoscience and less pseudo-supernaturalism. <laughs> So that kind of bummed me out. But here's what I would say. 83 minutes, what more do you want? You go in, you see it. Ah, it's a little bit of fun. You come out, done. Mm. There's still plenty of time. You, the Lazarus effect is a quick date. Well, you can... Sometimes all you need is a quickie, Rafer. <laughs> it doesn't need agree. to be the best quality. Sometimes you just need to get things taken care of. That's pretty much what you got here. <laughs> I would say this movie aims low and hits its target. <laughs> There's people on the street get diseases from monkeys. Yeah, that's what I said. They get diseases from monkeys. Now there's junkies. All right, let's talk about a more serious film now. This yes. is an independent documentary that's getting a little bit of buzz. It's called Farewell to Hollywood. Now, this movie is, I, I cannot overstate this. This is a very indie documentary. And what we have here is a 17-year-old girl named Reggie who is living and dying with cancer. Mm-hmm. And she's just a major, major film buff. She loves movies. She's always wanted to make a movie. She doesn't have much time left. And she meets this guy who is a real, legit director at a film festival. And when he hears her story, he says, yes, I'll collaborate with you. I'll help you make a movie before you die. And they decide to make her the subject of the movie to really just tell her story of saying goodbye to this world before she dies. But it's not just about that. It's about this complicated relationship that develops between them that is not just artistic collaboration, but about independence from her parents, where she's moving away from them and moving toward him. And then also something that looks to be romantic and or sexual by the end of the movie. Here is a clip. Inside this box is not a present, but a representation. Our roots have grown deep over the past years, entangling in one another. We are part of the same life, just as you are my caretaker. You are the one I care most for. Now, the filmmakers, um, the young woman who we mentioned, or young girl, the 17-year-old, her name is Reggie Nicholson, and her collaborator is Henry Cora. So, uh, full disclosure, she doesn't live through this movie. And right. that's made very clear from the get-go. We we know she's not going to make it through the, t- that the title. Is the I mean, the subtitle is uh, The Life and Death of Reggie Nicholson, yeah. so we know. Farewell and, to Hollywood. It, 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 it opens up with a scene of um, she's been cremated and uh, he is burying her ashes. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's known from the, from the start. Yes, and one other thing that's notable, um, in addition to Reggie being young and a film lover and wanting to be a filmmaker and so on and dying, she also has never really done all the adult things that you want to do if you live a full life, including be in love, move away from home. And in some ways, Henry seems to provide that stuff for her, Henry Cora. And Henry is, from what I can tell, older than her dad. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, yeah he, looks, he looks to be... 50-ish. Yes, 50, I would say, by, by judging by his looks, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a moment in the film that comes sort of out of nowhere to me um, when... 
uh, he is uh, he is driving down the street um, in my hometown. By the way, this is all filmed in Long Beach, California. Um, it's tra- it was very it was odd watching this film and seeing him. Oh, there's you know Long Beach Boulevard and Delamo Boulevard. Like I, I I know I know that street corner. I've I've trolled those streets my entire life. Very strange. Anyway, he's driving down the street and talking with. Uh, or maybe texting with Reggie, I think something like that. You know, the, a lot, a lot of, a lot of. He this, does a lot of texting and driving does, in this movie, does, by the way. Which he I does do a lot. Of you are such an irresponsible old man. <laughs> he does, God. but it's it's also difficult to tell <clears throat> with this movie how much of it is, you know, pieced together. Yeah, piece, yeah. You know, how much of this is just yeah, right. You know, visuals so that we can so have something to look at while we're also seeing words. But at any rate, he, their their text conversation is, you know, my my dad is, you know, my dad thinks that we're having an affair. He said that he said that you said that you loved me and Henry says well that's crazy I mean I do love you but not in that way you know I just I've got I'm attached to you and I I have a lot of affection for you and blah 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 and it comes a little bit out of nowhere uh, because her parents you know don't seem entirely sane but they don't seem entirely insane either Um, and then things get to such a, a point again for no real reason that we can see things get to such a point that her parents are actually threatening to pull her health care and leave her without health care if she continues to hang out with Henry Cora this filmmaker that seems a little extreme at, at that point i really that started was pretty to, heartbreaking i thought yeah i really started to feel for Reggie Nicholson at that point because i kind of felt like wow this is turning out to be a very tough life um yeah you're about to die i mean they've given her a very very short window yeah. Before she dies, she's not going to make it to her twenties. Is pretty much the right consensus from right. her healthcare providers. And um, do you think, Kristen? Do you think that they have or had a sexual relationship? Absolutely, and you I'm do. not. And I'm not going to explain why. But anybody who watches this movie by the end will see that there's indicators that yeah there was something sexual happening between them. But not. But it's not depicted in the not film. Explicit or really stated. I mean, no. in, other, in other words, in other words, Henry and I, and I'm not surprised, <clears throat> but Henry Cora, the filmmaker, never, never exactly comes out and says it. But it's so but you suggestive think, you by the end. By clear. the end, it's so suggestive that it's not even a doubt. I mean, they're yeah. not depicting them. They're, they're not filming themselves naked together having sex and showing no. that as part of the movie. They're no. not doing that. But obviously, he's not going to show anything that explicit because right. she is underage and he's fifty. <laughs> well, but I, I, mean, I mean, the film does make a very big point about her turning eighteen at some point. Too big of a point. Too if big you a ask point. Me, yes. Too I, big of a point. I and, found this whole I found this whole film to be really uh, one not very good and not and not very not very well done. It's it's very it's messy storytelling. It's, it's not actually having one scene lead to the next, lead to the next. Right. It's not clear what these it's not clear what the project is that these two are collaborating on unless mm-hmm. it's just sort of like look at you know, here's me and my life, which I just kind of feel like I don't think you need Henry Cora for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um that's not clear. It seems pretty clear to me that anybody any other filmmaker if the parents had said, I believe that you're having an affair with my teenage daughter, my underage teenage daughter, and I'm not happy about it, and I don't want you to see her anymore, I'm pretty sure any other filmmaker would have found a way to say, listen, I completely understand. You know, is there some kind of, is there some kind of agreement that we can work out? This seems to be important to her. What if, 
you know, I'm just her editor afar and I, you know, stay in my studio and have her send me her stuff and I will help her compile the film. that does not happen. He's like, come live with me in South Pasadena. Look at this giant glass condo that overlooks these cliffs. (laughs) And I, but I also, but I also, because I don't find, because, because the filmmaker doesn't, it doesn't come out and tell me, you know. This you know, I felt real love for this real romantic love for this person, and it was real. And here we are together as a couple, and I'm not ashamed because I don't get that. It also leaves me wondering if this was just a trumped up reality show style nothing that you could stick in there to goose up the film and make it more interesting. I don't know. I mean, here the the big thing I took away from it was not is this real or is this not the two realities I was dealing with were actually her reality versus his reality because. What I was hoping the whole time was she didn't see him as creepy or predatory or opportunistic Mm. as I see him. I see him as all of those things. But hopefully before she died, she was young and naive and hopeful and wanting to just feel love before she left this world. She wanted to have an artistic collaboration before she left this world. And she got to experience that through this man. And I hope that's what she felt. And then I look at him and I think, he might have convinced himself that he felt those things too, but I'm much closer to his age than to hers. And I look at him and if I had any friend who was his age doing that, I'd be like, listen, buddy. Yeah. I'm usually on your team, but this is just creepy and you got to cut it out. Yeah. Not cool. It is. Super, super not cool. Yeah. It, the whole thing I found, I found, I found really bizarre, but it's also um, lily livered or something about, yeah, just about like it that before- I can't. Be upfront about it. If this is what you're doing, own it, and then it'll be a more interesting story. Yeah, I kind of felt like I kind of like you might be creepy, but I can't even say anything about how creepy (laughs) you are because you're not showing it to me. And so you want him to just be Humbert Humbert and just (laughs) talk nonchalantly about it, and he's never going to be Humbert Humbert. Right, right. This movie's a little bit spineless, even as it's telling a creepy story. Exactly, exactly. Um, So, uh, farewell to Hollywood: the life and death of Reggie Nicholson. I'm going to say pretty. Pretty lousy date. I'm going to say it's possibly an illegal date. <laughs> the kind illegal of the date. kind of date that you can get arrested for in some states. Yeah, I mean, and, a, and and again, a heartbreaking story about her because she's um, she's really she's very appealing. She's yeah, really she's really she's sweet, really sweet. And, and it's uh, it is it is kind of tragic. Yeah. Let's all talk right. about another tragic story. You want to get even heavier, Kristen? Oh, let's just take it all the way. Let's just, yeah. Whoa. Let's go to this darker place. Or I don't know if it's dark. It's all dark. It's, it's, all, all, it's, all, it, little, it's all a little dark. It's all a little bit dark. But so. a movie with a happier ending, I would say. I, I would say it's a more empowered ending. Yes. The the victims become the victors in some way yes. in this. And we're talking about The Hunting Ground, which is this new documentary about rape on college campuses. Tell us more about it, Rafer. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's basically the, the gist of it. Um, uh, Amy Ziering and Kirby Dick, two documentary filmmakers, uh, decided to explore this topic. And they have a lot of really interesting statistics at hand showing that what's happening on campus is women are being raped fairly frequently. And the offenders, the suspects, we'll have to call them, are not being prosecuted fully. They're not, their cases are not being investigated. The women are not being heard. Uh, because of the cultures at these institutions, cultures where uh, I think people, they want, they have donors who give them money. They don't want to rock those boats. They've got sports teams and they don't want those star athletes to be uh, brought down in public. Many, many, many reasons make it very difficult for these women to get anything done and to be heard and to be taken seriously. 
And so um, uh, Amy Ziering and Kirby Dick went in, investigated this, and they also found two women who took matters into their own hands, launched a campaign uh, using Title IX, of all things, mm-hmm. to try and get these uh, universities to change their policies. Here's a clip. It was at night. Um, we were dancing. I was out with some friends. People were drinking, but nobody was ridiculously drunk. Um, and I got pulled outside and um, banged my head against a wall and was raped. He just started kind of like pulling me towards the bathroom. He grabbed my head by the side of my ear and slammed it against the bathroom tile. And uh, it didn't stop. Now, notably, the filmmakers, Ziering and Dick, were the same team that made the Oscar-nominated documentary The Invisible War about a year and a half ago. And that is about how women serving in the military are more likely to be sexually assaulted by one of their fellow military men than to be killed in combat. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty gruesome. And so they did some research and found that just as secretive, just as bureaucratic, just as difficult to deal with actually are university campuses around the country. And yeah, some of the statistics are shocking. And um, and we have a lot of first-person testimonial in this movie, which I, I think is one of the reasons why this movie is so powerful. We're actually hearing from people who have gone through this, people who've taken their cases to the higher-ups, to the deans, to the police on campus, and have been either dissuaded or they've been ignored. They've been told, maybe you're misinterpreting it. What were you wearing? Yeah. And we're hearing from those higher-ups. We're hearing from the deans. We're actually hearing from somebody who uh, raped girls on campuses. Yeah, from a serial serial rapist, basically. And and so it's amazing hearing all these real voices. This is not just talking heads. This is people with real testimonials. And even a father whose daughter killed herself because she she couldn't get any justice on campus and it was just destroying her. She just could not go on. It was horribly debilitating to her whole life that nobody would believe her and listen to her except her own family. And, and we should say, too, that these are all um, uh, major universities from, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton – all the way down to you know the, your your typical state schools. Um, yeah. The two the two girls that uh, they focus on mostly in this film are were uh, University of North Carolina students. Mm-hmm. Um, both both uh, raped you know practically within hours of arriving on campus. Right. Yeah. With days. Just like orientation time. Yeah. 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 Um, so pretty pretty incredible. Uh, probably my favorite uh, section in the film. Even though I thought it was done a, with a little bit too much comedic flair, in a way, a little, a little, I thought it was a little too jocular in its tone. But the facts themselves were pretty extraordinary. Was the um, the list of punishments that um, oh yeah that accused men accused of sexual assault have received on campus? Um, one my my favorites were one guy got fined seventy five dollars, another guy got fined twenty five dollars, and then another guy uh, had to write a paper about it. Yes. One guy had to go serve 50 hours of uh, uh, community, community service at a, at a rape crisis rape center. center. Yes. Um, and it is one of these things where, you know, one thing about the film, for obvious reasons, is that not one single sitting dean or president of a university uh, would offered an interview. They couldn't get an interview with anybody. Um, and I don't know how many they asked, but there's a list at the end of colleges they went to that would not speak to them. 
Um, so in many of these cases, you you are not getting the other side of the story. And um, and I do want to say there are always two sides of the story. Mm-hmm. And so you are really getting only one side. You are, however, getting campus security guards who had to quit their jobs because yeah. they you couldn't get, handle the yes. job anymore. You get you former are, deans and former security. Yes, you, you do get getting, some of those. You are getting professors. You are getting heads of student centers. So you are getting people who... But yes, you're right, not yes, sitting yes. ones. You but are correct. Right. Nobody actually words, you're not, you're has not, their job right now. You know, you, know, you, don't, you don't get to hear from the defense, yeah. in, you know, so, so to speak. And it, it does make you think with some of these statistics like, really, they really fine a guy $25 for sexual assault? I would like to hear the particulars, but it also does make you feel like, well, if there was some kind of sexual assault, then – that's something. And what kind of sexual assault would be worth a twenty-five dollar fine? Do you know what, what I mean? No. What, did, what did what did you do? Did you did you did you poke her in the ribs with your finger? I, I mean, like what what are we talking about? I just have no idea. And, and I thought the movie was it's it's just enraging. It's just it's, enraging. It's, complete, it's completely enraging because because there is i don't think there is one single victory story in in other words i don't think you ever see one guy get what he deserves yeah. right i mean I, the victory comes from those girls from yes. unc taking the whole situation into their own hands and getting it to a federal level yes. and that's the victory but you're thinking what about the millions of girls who are not these two girls? Right, of course. And, and it's just heartbreaking. What happens to all the rest of these girls? And we have one t- person, I forgot who it is in the film, who actually says, imagine for a moment that I told you, I think it's somebody from an admissions office, imagine if I told you that your son would come to school and have a one in four chance of being shot in a drive-by shooting. Exactly. <laughs> would you send your son to my school? <laughs> right. Well, why do you think we don't publish this in our admissions catalog? Yeah. Why do you think we don't note that one in four girls or one in five girls will be the victim of attempted or, you know, full-on sexual assault? Why right. Why do we not tell you? For the same reason as that drive-by shooting scenario I just sure. told you. Especially, yeah. and especially when we're asking you for $50,000 a year. Yes. In tuition. Right. No, it's, it's, it's great. And you really can only hope that um, this will bring – about some kind of change, and that you'll see universities uh, cop to this and 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 change and change their change their procedures. Um, but it is a little astonishing, especially when you think of these kind of you know uh, progressive northeast liberal colleges uh, that have the same kind of entrenched culture that you would expect to find at kind of some like a Big Ten football school. Exactly, or, yeah. exactly, and that's really surprising. I thought the hunting ground was. Uh, a date might be a strange <laughs> word for it, but I, I, di- I did think it was really powerful and really, really good and really worth seeing. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. I think it's hands down the best movie of the week. Yeah. But maybe I shouldn't say that yet because coming up, we have an interview with Jermaine Clement, who is in a movie himself this week. He directed, he co-wrote, he co-stars in a movie about vampires. It's a horror comedy mockumentary called What We Do in the Shadows. So, Stay with us. When we come back, we'll be talking with him. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer, we should remind people to go to our Facebook page where we have some great photos this week, notably with Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. Now, I was suggesting this week 
we should start having every guest who comes in do an Olin Mills pose with us. Yeah, but but you have, but you have to. I think you have to explain to everyone. <laughs> I grew up with Olin Mills, but did everyone else? You have to explain what that is. It's like the Sears Portrait Studio that's not in Sears. It's like right. the mall place you go to where you have the five backdrops to choose from. One that's kind of like a sky blue. One mm-hmm. that's like the fall leaves. The fall leaves, yeah. The, the library with the books. Oh, I don't know that one. Do you remember that one? It's all just the, like, all the ones I remember were all nature. Oh yeah, like, yeah. like the Alps. And then you always are in one of like five poses. One where like, let's say you're sitting in a chair and I'm standing behind you with my hand on your shoulder. Yes, that's right. Um, the back to back one where, you know, two people are back to back or three people are back to back. That one, See, that one, I never, that, I never got that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do the one where it's like tall to short, where your hand is on the shoulder, taller, shorter, shorter, <laughs> and you're all facing the camera kind of in a row no, and I... your heads are all to- turned towards the camera? I wish that I had done that. No. Oh, or what about the one where you have your face? staring at the camera smiling but then there's another one of your faces giant staring down at yourself yes. staring at the camera yeah that i love that i never i fortunately i never got that either but i always i always loved that <laughs> oh that olin mills photography <laughs> so we 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 for we forced jermaine clement who probably has no idea what olin mills even is but we forced him into a into a humiliating humiliating pose <laughs> so go to facebook.com slash movie date podcast and yeah keep an eye out for future guests who are being forced into olin mills poses as right. well. Anywho, so let's talk a little bit more about this movie before we play our interview with Jermaine Clement. This is, as we were saying, a mockumentary. Yep. We are looking at the side of vampire life that's maybe not quite so sexy. And, you know, everything from dealing with irritating roommate things to just the fact that you can't hold down a job very well when you're a vampire. True. You, you can't also. It's very hard to go uh, clubbing when you're when you're a vampire because yeah. you, know, you have to be invited in. Yeah, and you're not thinking all the time just about virgins and sex and drinking, you know, blood. There's the other 90% of the day. You have to think about just minutia, just mm-hmm. day-to-day stuff. Washing it, dishes. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's play this clip. I do my flat chores. No, you don't. No, you yes, don't. I do. That's why we're having the flat meeting. The point is, Deacon, that you have not done the dishes for five years. Vladislav is right. It's unacceptable to have so many bloody dishes all over this bench like this. I'm so embarrassed when people come over here. Well, what does it matter? You bring them over, you kill them. Vampires don't do dishes. Ah, we've all been there. We've all been there, especially <laughs> with roommates. But what happens when you and your roommates live to be like 10,000 years old? <laughs> right, exactly. You can never grow up and you can never escape them. Anywho, so we were talking with Jermaine Clement and asking, how did he get into this? And, you know, why did he want to tell this kind of story? And how are these vampires different from all the other vampires we see on film? And this is what he told us. This is filming them when they're not just being the cool mysterious guy at the window also the other times when there are other windows and they um, don't manage to hypnotize the people in the room and and you know the times when they're uh, being not so cool and not so uh, mysterious and a lot of people don't think about you know they a lot of vampires are wealthy in movies but what if you didn't invest right and um, imagine trying to make that last it's hard to get jobs <laughs> most of them are in the That's daytime right. age discrimination mm. yeah these vampires are super not sexy. No, we, I think we're trying, but no. <laughs> I mean, there's some flying and some fighting scenes, which yeah, are great. Not that sexy, and, you know, no. vampires turning into bats and doing that kind of thing. But some of the scenes are just so deadpan and fantastic. And Rafer and I especially loved Nick and Stu. Oh, good. Yeah. Can, can you tell us more about these actors who play Nick and Stu? Sure. Nick is played by Corey Gonzalez McCure. He's a comedian. He'd never been in a film before. 
and she's just a natural. And then Stu is actually uh, an IT guy. He plays an IT guy in the film. Yes. <laughs> in real life, he is an IT guy. Uh, he was just helping us out filming it, like making sure people didn't trip over when we were filming in town and carrying stuff. And, and, and we thought he looked so different to the rest of us and uh, had a different energy, I guess, he wasn't a performer. He's a... He was a software analyst, but uh, <laughs> so we we just put him in that, and um, when we saw him that he he stood out a lot. So we we made his part quite major when we were writing the script. It's but a, we didn't let him know. We didn't want to freak him out. No wonder, uh, because they're both. Um, you know, I hope this is no this is no insult to uh, Corey, but um, I never would have known that they were that that either of them were a comedian. You know, they they both. I when I when I saw the film, I just kept thinking. Did they just pull these guys off the street? Did they really just get these guys just out of nowhere? But that's great about us too. Uh, you, yeah. you know, a, a star might have been born there. He's uh, he's really he's terrific in the film. We have had when when we've gone to uh, film festivals at the end of the film, people stand up when Stu comes. Uh, out. <laughs> that's great. That's terrific. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, you, and you made this film for uh, about a million dollars. Is that right? Yes. So that's a a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money, uh, although not not when we're talking about movies. No, not not as far as movies go. It's about a two hundredth of many movies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so we know that you had to call in, as I as I think independent filmmakers do. You had to call in a lot of favors. Mm-hmm. One of them from Peter Jackson. Tell us how that came about. Well, there's lots of favors from Peter Jackson. He lent us cameras. Um, the outside of uh, the vampire's house is actually his office. Oh, <laughs> that's his office. Yeah, <laughs> creepy looking office. Creepy. That's one of his offices. Our our set is made of the discarded green screen of the Hobbit set. All right. Wow. You, you know, yeah. Um, Peter Jackson often helps any New Zealand movie. Seems to help somehow. What was your entree into him? Did you certainly didn't knock on that creepy office and say, "Hey, uh, we went and visited him while they were making the Hobbit," and uh, just you know, told him the idea and just, uh, "Is there any way you can help?" We were hoping he would say, "Have have a million dollars." Sure, uh, but he <laughs> did, he didn't say that. But he did say, uh, "Have some cameras, and um, you know, we might be able to help you some other ways." All right, well, that's cool. That's enough. Great. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you because, you know, uh, watching the movie, you've got the character of uh, Peter, who I guess is the one who's 8,000 years old. Yeah. Is that right? So he's he's the oldest vampire. And, of course, he looks exactly like Max Schreck from the original Nosferatu with mm. the, the long fingernails and the, and the teeth. And I was just curious if there were any other vampire movies that you guys all sat around to watch and look to before you shot this. Uh, well, I kind of grew up with vampire movies. There was um... – this latest vampire craze wasn't the only one. There was one in the 70s and one in the <laughs> 80s, and we lived through those as well, in the 90s, actually. So Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Sure. Nosferatu, of course, as you mentioned. Um, Fright Night was a big one for me. Salem's Lot. Oh, yes. Things, mm. You know, they're all kind of – oh, the Lost Boys, they're all kind of uh, – Would borrowed, you make a reference to Yeah, that? yeah. We've <laughs> borrowed stuff from all of them. Um, was it hard, you know, being in – independent film, um, and also this film coming sort of after Twilight had sort of had its moment. Was it hard selling this movie to people? Was it hard getting distributors to pick it up and, and take some interest? No, because it takes so long to get a movie organized that when we um, were looking for money, firstly, this is an idea that we had 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, we made a short at the time um, called What We Do in the Shadows, some interviews with some vampires, and it was mostly improvised interviews 
um, going into town a little and, and filming what their lives would be like, how we imagined vampires' lives might actually be like. And then uh, by the time, you know, we got we both got busy. I was doing Flight of the Concords and um, Taika started getting lots of work. We we both, both were kind of unemployed uh, artists in a way. We're just doing little projects and in, in a same space of time, um, Brett, who in Flight of the Concords with me, and I were asked to do an HBO special. Kind of out of nowhere, we were just doing little gigs before that. And Taika had made one short film and it was nominated for an Oscar. And um, so we both got busy for for years. And so it's, it took a long time to get uh, this one going. And then um, over that time, people would react differently. You know, people would find vampires funny. And then we'd say we're making a vampire movie. And then for a while, that's found it very hot and right. sexy and that was at the time we were looking for money but by the time we were filming it people were over vampires because there were vampires you know all through tv and you know bookstores have their own vampire sections right. uh, now uh which i've never seen before uh and uh people would roll their eyes but this is a different kind of take on it that is the great Jermaine Clement, who we know best probably from flight of the concords his new movie that he co-directed co-wrote and co-stars in with Taika Waititi is called What We Do in the Shadows. Kristen, let's end this podcast as we always do with trivia. Woohoo, trivia. What was last week's trivia question? Well, last week, in honor of teen movies, we were talking about The Duff, which we yes. both loved. Both loved of us loved The Duff. We decided to play a clip of a teen movie that maybe isn't on the top of everyone's list, but it's still a teen movie nonetheless. We played this clip. The girls' team at Cornwall got cut, and the guys wouldn't let me go out for their team. So, I've been pretending to be my brother while he was in London for the past two weeks. So I can make the team and beat Cornwall. We asked you, can you identify that teen movie? And we got a ton of right answers. Here's the one we randomly picked. Hi, Rafer. Hi, Kristen. This is Jessica Wong from Long Island. Just listening to your podcast. I love you guys. I love your podcast. I'm so excited to say that I know the answer. She's the man with Amanda Bynes. Okay, movie. Loved it when I was a teenager. You know. You know how it is. Thanks. Bye. Great job, Jessica. Ah, uh, Strong Island. Oh, Rafer. I've never heard that, have I? Strong, Strong Island. Strong Island. That's Come awesome. On. I always hear the Guyland. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Have a little local pride. <laughs> Strong Island. That's great. That's great. So a reminder to listeners, you can always call 5717movies if you know the answer to our trivia question. And what is this week's question, Rafer? Well, because we were talking about Focus, the new con artist film with Will Smith, that got us to thinking about other con artist movies. There are many, many, many. I named a few. This is not one of those. We picked a con artist film. We're going to ask you to name it. Here's the clip. Now, Diana, as you were saying, you don't think the poor should be allowed in museums? I think the Ruprecht, poor... don't take the cork off the fork. Why is the cork on the fork? To prevent him hurting himself and others. Uh. Ruprecht, eat your applesauce. Ruprecht, we have wonderful news. Diana and I are going to be married. 
You know who those guys who are. Who's zooming who? You, you know who those guys are. If you know the name of that film, give us a call. 5717movies. And, of course, you can always visit us. You can message us. You can post things on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash movie date podcast. No, I'm not crying. And if I am crying, it's not because of you. Because I'm thinking about a friend of mine You don't know who is dying That's right, dying These are tears of sadness Because you're leaving me I've just been cutting onions I'm making a lasagna